May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated and welcome on this Pentecost Sunday, the end of our 50 days of Easter. Big idea today, I want to talk to you about this uh, reading from the book of Acts. The big idea is Pentecost changes everything. It's really true. Pentecost changes everything. And the Pentecost refers to that feast that's held 50 days after the second day of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of the Harvest, the First Fruits. They would take the wheat from the sheep and make it into a loaf. Uh, it really represented unity and oneness, very much like the church. We are supposed to be one in Christ, unified in Christ on this Pentecost and going forward. Um, we probably need to interpret the, uh, the text today in Acts 2 from the text in Acts 1, verses 4 through 8. And while staying with them, he charged them, Jesus, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit is coming, it's on his way. The meaning of Pentecost is God's equipping his church with the power of the Holy Spirit so that he will be glorified among the nations. We've heard a lot lately about the Westminster Confession, what is the purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I wear a WWJD bracelet. Somebody said, what would Jesus wear? And the answer was WWGG. What would glorify God? So I thought, okay, that works. This is a good time to probably remind you of something you already know, and that is that Anglicanism, and for maybe some of those you've never heard this, Anglicanism is what we call three streams. Okay? The, it's sacrament, scripture, and spirit. So sacrament, we're very traditional, we're Eucharistic. Um, we have Eucharist every Sunday, um, several times during the week actually. And it's the real presence of the body and blood of Christ. If you walked in here and you didn't, hadn't been here before, you'd think you were in a Catholic church because the way I look, we have an altar, we have candles, we have Eucharist, very traditional. We're also scriptural. The Word of God is authoritative for our lives. We are evangelical in that sense. We are saved by justification, by faith, not through works. We're also spirit. Uh, and we understand, lift up, exercise the gifts of the Spirit. So we're charismatic. Okay? And for 10 years, we were with Living Waters over there. Uh, and at Worldwide Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. All one word. And by the, uh, by the time we were done and we came over here, we were officially Anglo-Costals. Because we learned a whole lot about the Holy Spirit when we were over there. Things that I had never really known or experienced before, but we've taken it with us and have, have expanded it here. And we're going to do something uh, at the announcement time. We're going to make a little video for um, Randy and Annette Watson 
in the end of the month, they're doing a, um, they're being inducted into the Prophet Hall of Fame or something. And they've asked us if we can make a little video about that. So we're going to do that, and I'll ask you to participate. I think that'll be fun. Acts 2 is the birth of the church. In Acts 1, we're waiting for the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, he comes. It's the end of the old age. It's the birth of the new age. So really, today is our birthday. Happy birthday. Pentecost is our birthday. In the old age, the Spirit was with us. He came, he acted, he departed. So when Isaiah says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, it means that the Spirit has come for a specific time, for a specific purpose. And when that purpose in time is done, the Spirit departs. In the new age, the Spirit does not depart. He dwells in us. He remains. In the old age, we served God out of fear of the law. I don't want to make God angry. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I'll get in trouble. In the new age, we serve God out of love for Jesus Christ. I am a slave to Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ, and I only want to do what he wants me to do. And when I don't, and I fall, and I get out of fellowship or out of line with him, I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit that dwells within me, and I want to get back in line as fast as I can. In Acts 2, we see the growth of the church in diverse cultures. Barriers that divide us are broken down. There is no slave or free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. All are one in Christ. It's not external, it's internal. It's what's inside of me. I'm reminded of Martin Luther King's, I have a dream speech. I dream of a day when my children are judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's how God sees us as individuals, not as part of a group. We're living in an age now when you, when you have something called identity politics. So if you are a member of a group, and it could be gender, male, female, race, language, rich, poor, physical ability, nationality, whatever it might be, identity politics says you're part of this group. You are a white, male, straight Christian. I know all about you. I don't need to know you. I know all about you because you are part of this group. You share this identity with all these other people that fit in that group. You're all the same. No, we're not. God does not see us like that. Identity politics is a lie from hell. It really is. And we need to get away from that and start looking at people as individuals the way God looks at people, as individuals. Pentecost reverses the Tower of Babel. Babel divided people on the basis of language. But Pentecost unites people by a central purpose and person, that would be Jesus, without the need for a central place or a common language. Matthew talked last week about going to Honduras. I've been to Honduras, I've been to Africa in several locations. And so when you go there, what you discover is they don't look like you, they don't speak like you, they don't live like you, they don't have the same customs as you have, they don't have the same background as you have, and maybe in many ways they don't have the same values you have to some degree. But what we have in common is Jesus. What we have in common is the Holy Spirit. That's what unites us. All the other stuff is external. But what, it, what brings us together as the body of Christ, whether I'm in Ocala or whether I'm in Baharamulo in Tanzania, it's the Spirit and it's Jesus, and that's what matters. 
The text does not say that the coming of the Spirit happened as a result of the disciples praying or worshiping or fasting or after they had fulfilled some kind of requirement. They didn't do anything for the Spirit to come. It was time for the Spirit to come. It was time for the Spirit to come in God's plan. And Jesus says this, says it this way. On the last day of the feast, this is in John 7, and the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So this is on a timetable, and now here we are in Acts 2, and the time has finally come where the Spirit is about to arrive. Okay? So the 120 are up there. They're all in one place. And it says, a sound like a rushing wind comes upon them. It's not a wind. It's just a sound. And the people outside hear this wind. So this is where I get a little controversial. This was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was the infilling of the believers in Jesus with the, with the Holy Spirit. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism versus filling. So baptism of the Spirit is non-experiential. I'm not sure how the people at Living Waters would take what I'm saying. When you came to faith in Christ and were justified, you didn't go, whoa, justification. Where it just, just hit me. I didn't see that coming. No, it wasn't like that. It's not experiential. When you believed in Christ, you were placed into the body of Christ and were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, Paul puts it like this. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through the Spirit which dwells in you. So over and over we see this idea that if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I've given my life to Christ, then I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's something that does not change. Baptism means immersed, placed in the body of Christ. It's a new nature, out with the old, in with the new. I don't always act like it, but it's there. In uh, Corinthians... Paul puts it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So when I'm indwelt by this Holy Spirit, I have a new nature. Um, I'm not who I used to be. And baptism in the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with the experience of a believer. And this filling... Um, in verse 4, that's the experiential thing, and that's when we, they begin, begin to speak in other languages. And that's different than 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 
Paul is talking about the gift of tongues, another language. He means prayer language in Corinthians. It's different than we're talking about here in this chapter of Acts. So let me just demonstrate that. Deacon Karen. So you have a prayer language. This is Corinthians. This is one of the gifts of the Spirit. So if I were to ask you to pray for uh, Bishop Vitalis' wife, Monica, who's not feeling well, what would that sound like in your prayer language? Thank you. Now, God understood that. I didn't. But that is specific to Deacon Karen. That is her prayer language. Kathy has a prayer language. And I, I tried this out on the circle the other day with Deacon Peg, and she got up and prayed as well. That is one of the gifts of the Spirit. Not everybody has that. If you don't have a prayer language, it doesn't mean you're any less of a Spirit-filled Christian. It's just one of the gifts. I have one, and I don't use it very often. Kathy and I are praying for you. Kathy's probably going to pray in a prayer language, and I'm praying so you can understand it. Whenever Paul lists the gifts, typically the gifts of tongues is last. doesn't mean it's any less, but it's people get all caught up. Oh, I don't have a gift of tongues, and I don't want them. It doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. No, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean that at all. Now, I'm looking at Bill over here. This is my Assemblies of God pastor. So you'll probably give me a ration after this is over, but I'll, I can take it. What happened on, in this setting here in, in Acts chapter 2 is they got real languages, real languages. So I remember I was with Jim Glennon. Jim Glennon was the, was the uh, uh, can, uh, canon at the... Cathedral in Sydney, Australia. Wonderful guy. Wrote books on healing. Kathy and I got to meet him when he came to Winter Park, All Saints, did a healing ministry. Um, he's standing in the, in the church one day with a professor of ancient languages. And they're talking. And there's a woman sitting there, and she's, in the, she's praying out loud. And all of a sudden, this uh, professor is like, his, his ears pick up. Like, whoa. And he waits till she's done, and she goes, he says, ma'am, where did you learn that? And and she said, I don't know. Does that mean anything? She was praying in an ancient Greek dialect that no one had used in years. But it was her specific prayer language that God had given her. She didn't know. And the languages that these guys got uh, in Acts chapter 2 when they go out and start to preach and they're preaching to the Medes and the Persians and this and that. Everybody's hearing it in their own language because they gave them, he gave them a specific language. That's the Acts chapter 2 language versus the 1 Corinthians 15 prayer language. It's different. So filling with the Holy Spirit is something that the fruit of the Spirit reflects, happens after we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptism happens once. Filling is ongoing. Filling happens when you're walking with Christ, yielding to him moment by moment. Think of a fire hydrant versus a faucet. So you turn on your faucet at home and water comes out, but if there's a fire, you turn on that fire hydrant, a whole lot more water comes out at at great pressure. 
That's the difference between um, having be, being baptized in the Spirit on an everyday basis, being led by the Spirit, versus being filled with the Spirit for a particular purpose. I've told you when 9-11 happened, Yale Foster, the mayor, had a group of, of city workers come, about 200 people. He called me and he asked me if I wanted to go. I said, fine, I'll be there. So I get over there, I go in, and I'm standing off to the side. E.L. gets up to the microphone and says, uh, thank you for coming. Father Don will now address us. Huh? I had no idea I was going to do that. And I went, all right, Lord. And I just started, I went over. I have no idea what I said. I don't remember one word I said, but I was filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. And I said whatever he wanted me to say. I, <laughs> I have no clue what I said. And I, and I didn't go, what are you talking about? You didn't say anything about speaking. And I remember, you know, you, you, we went to two general conventions. I think Kathy could tell you. Went to one in Minneapolis for the Episcopal Church. Every three years they have a general convention. There was one in Minneapolis and one in Columbus, Ohio. I had no intention of saying anything. But at some point somebody said something and I just got up and went up to the mic. And I still don't really know what I said. But that's being filled with the Spirit and moving in the power of the Spirit. And these are all from Acts. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them his ability. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with, with boldness. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And on and on it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit for a particular purpose for a particular time. The Holy Spirit always indwells. It doesn't go away, but there are times when you have that filling of the Holy Spirit that makes a difference. My story, I, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in May of 1982. I came to faith in Jesus Christ at a Curcio weekend in Orlando in May of 1982, and I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. When I went to seminary, there was somebody who came and talked about the Holy Spirit, and he talked about the release of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I said, I want that. And the next morning, they asked me if to go down to the basement of the seminary in a classroom-type setting, and people gathered around me and prayed for me, one of whom was my wife. And there, then there was the release of the Holy Spirit that had been in me since May of 1982. This was in 1991, I think. And I got a prayer language. I'd never had that before. And things were different. But they prayed for that release of the Spirit, um, in, and, it hap and it, it happened. Then, when we went over to Living Waters, we experienced things we had not experienced before in terms of the Holy Spirit being involved in healing of people physical healing. We had people in our congregation that had serious issues and were physically healed, you know. And I had, I got to get, Keith Barron was the guy that, that was the 
a minister that came and would pray for people. And many of you know Keith. You went to some of his ministry. We had him here, come here one time. And uh, I got to get him to come back. So Jennifer DeHaan, who's a, uh, one of our members, and she wheeled a guy in in a wheelchair, kind of a high deal like this. And he couldn't speak and he couldn't move his hands. And he was right here. And Keith and I, all these people were kind of lined up for prayer. And we prayed for the guy. And we're moving down the line like this. And then Kathy, as she goes, whoa! And we looked, and the guy is doing this. He's looking at his hands. Well, he can't move his hands. And then he starts, he moves, then he turns and he starts talking to his wife, sitting right there. And then he looked at Kathy, and, she, and he said, but I can't do this. She said, well, you can now. Holy Spirit. Why him and why not others? I don't know. Why do some people get healed and others don't? I don't know. But the Holy Spirit is real and active and powerful in our lives. We learned a lot when we were over there. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just for some super saints. It's for anyone who has given their life to Jesus Christ. I want to ask you some questions. God's purpose at Pentecost was to equip his church with the mighty power of the Holy Spirit so that we would be his witnesses to all nations, resulting in his eternal glory. So ask yourself these questions as you think about this purpose. One, is my focus on God's glory in all things? Did I even think about that as I went through my week? Did it determine how I resisted temptation or how I spoke to others? Second, is my passion that the nations would glorify God through the gospel? If my heart's not on world missions, it's not in tune with God's heart. Last week we had World Mission Sunday. The Anglican Union is very international in its nature and its character. Our patrons come from overseas. And last week you were very generous and we sent $2,000 uh, for the purpose of World Missions and it will be added to everybody else's amount as well. So Pentecost was for that. You're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That was the whole point. Third is my daily life consists consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit. Would I have missed him if, if he had withdrawn from me this past week? Do I lean on him for purity of life and power to obey God? And finally, is my daily desire to bear witness uh, of Christ to those who are, are lost and perishing? The power of the Spirit isn't given just to make me happy. It's given to make me holy so that God's purpose at Pentecost was to equip his church with the mighty power of the Holy Spirit so that we would be his witnesses to all the nations, resulting in his eternal glory. That's what this is really all about. I think we're on the verge of something very exciting. I am praying for a, a new um, awakening in our nation, a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit to bring people to faith and to wake people up who have been in the faith, but have kind of fallen asleep. This is happening around the world right now. Right now, the country in which the church is growing the fastest is Iran. And right behind Iran is Afghanistan. You'd never know it, but it's happening. All around the world, people are waking up. 
coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And as the sun sort of has been setting in the west, I'm hoping that, and it gets darker, I'm hoping that the light gets lighter and that the people of God will wake up and be the light and push back against the darkness. We're like a ship in dry dock about to be flooded and launched for its purpose. Ships belong at sea. And so the question is, are we ready to get underway with the Holy Spirit? Amen.